Welcome to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters. I'm Michonne Boston. And I'm Tequina Boston. We're your hosts and real-life sisters who geek out on historical drama. We'll talk about films, fictional adaptations, and dramatic series as windows to the past and mirrors of the present. So fill your teacup or mug with your favorite sip as we explore what's fact, what's fiction, and the so what on historical drama with the Boston Sisters. I'm Ashawn Boston. And I'm Tequina Boston. This is a special edition of historical drama with the Boston Sisters. Have you ever tried a new food or dish after seeing it in a movie? In our podcast, we talk about historical dramas as windows to the past and mirrors of the present. And we also look at the direct impact of these stories on our own culture. The Academy Award-winning film, The Godfather, raised the profile of the cannoli in popular culture with one of the film's most quoted lines, leave the gun, take the cannoli. The line was partially ad-libbed by actor Richard Castellano, who played Peter Clemenza, captain of the Corleone family enforcers in Francis Ford Coppola's film adaptation of Mario Puzo's best-selling crime novel. 2022 marks the 50th anniversary of The Godfather, which had its world premiere in New York City's Lowe's Theater in March of 1972. Set in the aftermath of World War II, the film features Marlon Brando, who plays an aging patriarch or godfather of an organized crime family who transfers control of the clandestine family business to his reluctant younger son, played by Al Pacino. Because Michonne and I call DC our home, we've invited Tierney Plum, Senior Associate Editor of the online food guide, Eater DC, to tell us where we can find the best cannolis in the DC, Maryland, Virginia, or DMV area. Eater DC has mapped cannolis, and Tierney has recently rewatched The Godfather in preparation for this conversation. Welcome, Tierney, to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters. Hello, thank you for having me. So first, Tierney, tell us your impressions of The Godfather that you recently rewatched. Yes, yes. So I think I was a little probably too young back then uh, for some of the themes to really grasp it um, when I was in my teens. But now in my 30s, you know, a lot of it resonates uh, even more today in our current climate. I mean, there's a lot of things about masculinity, patriarchy, um, you know, loyalty, staying true to your family and your friends and yourself that, you know, are lessons that you should take throughout the rest of your life. So definitely an intensity to watch, but not boring, that's for sure. Well, we talked about the cultural impact in terms of cannolis. So tell us how you were introduced to the cannoli. Sure, sure. So I was actually a little late to the table, I think. I was in my early 20s. It was right after college. My sister was living in Arlington in a condo right across from the famous Italian store. And I wasn't too familiar with it, you know, growing up in another part of Northern Virginia. But, you know, staying with her uh, overnight and just, you know, exploring the Arlington area, there's this great 
uh, family-run place that I hadn't known about uh, called the Italian Store in a shopping center right near Lee Highway. And it's a family-run place, been around for decades and decades, and they just make an amazing cannoli every day that, you know, you have to get there by noon by the lunch rush, or sometimes they're they're fully out of stock. <laughs> and then um, I had the pleasure of being able to go to actually – the birthplace of the cannoli in Italy, uh, I was in Rome. Of course, the cannoli was originally started in Sicily, but I was staying right near the, the Spanish steps in Rome, got to visit an amazing hole-in-the-wall cannoli spot right on the piazza there, and I still think about it today. So for those listeners who aren't familiar, describe what's in a cannoli. What makes a cannoli? Sure, sure. So they... Like I said, they're a form of pastry. Um, they started, originated on the island of Sicily way, way back in the, do- day, in the day. Um, but they're essentially tube-shaped desserts. And, you know, chefs start, start by making, making them with a deep-fried pastry dough that's shaped into a cylinder and typically filled with a sweet, but not too sweet, a creamy kind of filling, uh, usually made with ricotta cream, maybe some chocolate chips or sprinkling of pistachio dust, things like that. And it's one of your favorite desserts. What makes it still one of your favorite desserts? (laughs) Yes. So why wouldn't it be? I mean, it's a lot of people's favorite. I, I actually happen to be a more savory than sweet person, to be honest. I love my Italian pastas. So cannolis are great because, you know, they're filled with that creamy but not too sweet white filling that's usually made from ricotta like I said so it's not a super sugary kind of dessert and I I love that they are pretty affordable they're most at restaurants or delis or bakeries they aren't more than about three to four dollars each and they're also pretty filling they're portable which is great especially during our takeout era of the pen- pandemic. They're easy to grab and go. All, the, all those things make them favorites of mine. Yes. So you talked a little bit about um, what the cannoli is. Since we're also looking at what are the like really, really great ones in the area, could you tell us some of the standards by which we might judge that great cannoli? And are there any chef's tips about what makes a great cannoli? Sure. Yes. So, um, you know, a lot of places these days, it's like everything, uh, making everything, anything from scratch or let me start that over again, if you could ask it again. Yeah. So we're really interested in what makes a really good cannoli. And um, are there any tips from chefs that you've uh, picked up since you've been eating since you've discovered cannolis? Yes. So like anything, making a cannoli from scratch, like a lot of great dishes and pastries is key. So a lot of bakeries around town, you know, the the ones that do it right, they make the shells in-house and 100% from scratch. And that kind of produces that bubbly, crispy signature crush, if you will, of the, the shells. And that takes a lot of, of course, time. Nothing, nothing's easy to, to get the right, you know, results. So cannolis are one of them. Um, and I, I've heard from chefs some tips. I mean, a lot of people these days are able to make them from home because you can buy metal cannoli molds now. 
um, the latest bells and kitchen bells and whistles in your kitchen. So chefs tell me that you know they can stay crisp in the fridge even if you make them yourself or bring them home from a restaurant or bakery. You can keep them fresh for up to about two days by wrapping them in wax paper and then taping that so that air doesn't get into it. And so you can enjoy your cannoli for days longer now with different little tips and tricks. That's terrific. Well, Tierney, when I used to uh, go to Boston uh, a lot, uh, like mm -hmm. monthly, um, I was very familiar with the top cannoli places in Little Italy in Boston, but I'm not so sure where to find really top cannolis in the DMV. So could you tell us the places where you think it's worth standing in line, the, the bakeries to start with, um, for or showing up before the sun rises? And is that Italian store still around? Sure, sure. Yes, absolutely. That that was one of the ones I was going to mention again and give a shout to. Um, I mean, pretty much any traditional Italian restaurant or deli, not any, but a lot of them around the DMV, especially small, some of the smaller fam, family-owned ones in Virginia. Del Rey has a good, good assortment of them in their family-friendly neighborhood where they have a lot of young families, kids getting hooked on cannolis at an early age. Um, but a lot of delis that make their own pastas and sauces, you know, chances are they will also be making one of the best cannolis as well. So, yeah, Filippo's Italian Specialties, their small-scale operation in Wheaton that's been around for a while, just like the Italian store. Um, there's two female chefs in town, actually, to give a shout, uh, especially Women's History Month, um, who I think are making some of the best in town. So, you know, they're small scale bakers by, by trade, but they have two respective restaurants of their own. One is Catherine Thompson. She used to be a pastry chef at, you know, a, a group of really well-known high-end Italian restaurants in New York City. And she brought her skills down here to DC. We're lucky to have her in Falls Church um, at her suburban hotspot that's gotten a good name for itself over the past two years. It's called Thompson Italian. And she makes her cannolis with ricotta mousse, dark chocolate, candied orange, pistachios. They're, they're a big hit along with her uh, olive oil cake. So those are two of her big destination desserts there. Um, and then the other is Amy Brandwine of Centralina and Piccolina. She's uh, recently named, again, James Beard Award semifinalist. Uh, she's a great pastry chef by trade. She makes hers also from scratch in City Center, D.C., at her all-day cafe there. So people can come in and right in the middle of the city and grab and go. My mouth is watering as oh you're talking. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I, that's uh, incredible. I, I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I knew that. I mean, that's one has been another one to give a shout to Basona Bake Shop. They're they're one of the newer players in town, but they've already gotten, you know, great buzz, buzz in the Northern Virginia market. They're in Tyson's. They're, they're a small owned bakery, a small family run bakery, and they make their shelves in house 100% from scratch. Takes hours and hours of their time and energy, but they're doing it right, too. Sounds fantastic. And I noticed when I um, looked at the Eater DC map, there were also some chefs doing some very interesting takes on cannolis. Could you tell us about some of those? Yeah, sure. 
So one chef, uh, Nicola Stefanelli, he runs a big Italian, a growing Italian empire here, really. He started with Appuccino, which is in on the wharf. It's a three-level Italian restaurant right on the water, actually right near, that's right near where I live. I'm lucky enough to be able to pop in there sometimes, but it's kind of turned into a big Italian uh, cafe chain that he started. So they have locations in downtown. Georgetown is like a grab-and-go offshoot of, of the main one here on the wharf. And so he makes his with, you know, typical whipped ricotta, pistachio, and chocolate. But he also has uh, Michelin-rated Masseria, which is an amazing Italian restaurant. Uh, not too cheap, that's for sure. It's prefix menu in uh, Noma. And they make very unique cannolis with foie gras filled fill cannolis, uh, which is definitely different, adding more of a savory touch to that. That's harder to find. Um, I would say another one is Two Amy's, which has been around for decades up in Cathedral Heights. They're typically known for their Neapolitan pizzas is their is their main bread and butter, but they also make a mean cannoli with candied grapefruit zest in the ricotta and a homemade shell, of course, and you get two pieces per order, and they've, they've really upped their takeout game during the pandemic, so people are drawing more notice to their cannolis as of late over the past two years instead of just just their pizzas. Terrific. So Eater DC put together a cannoli map. Can you tell our listeners where and how they can access the cannoli map? Sure, sure. So it's on our website. If you go to dc.eater.com under maps, and you can search uh, Best Cannoli DC. And so we have a running updated list of some of the ones I just mentioned in town, a lot of the ones I just mentioned in town, actually, where they can just search for 15 of our top ones in the city and the DMV right now and see exactly where they are. They have the website phone number listed, how you can order, whether they're just for takeout or dine-in or both. Um, almost all of them are takeout also, but it's a helpful guide to, to know of the latest and greatest cannolis everyone can find around town. Oh, Michonne, you and I have an adventure to go on. No, Tyranny, we got to set a date. We got to set a date to go get some cannolis, yes. right? <laughs> cannoli crawl. The cannoli yes. crawl. Absolutely. <laughs> us to what we call our lightning round where we ask all our guests on historical drama with the boston sisters for questions related to the themes of this podcast so are you ready for your lightning round i think so i hope so <laughs> okay first question if you could travel back in time where would you take yourself and why no i think i would go to hate Ashbury in the 70s. Um, I'm a big fan of that era of music and peace and love. And I love Jim Morrison. I actually got to 
see his house where he lived when I was I was living in San Francisco back in 2013 to 16. So I was kind of in the thick of it, but it not, it wasn't the same as what what I've heard it was like in uh, Woodstock days and near Golden Gate Park. So I'd love to enjoy a snapshot of that that era and go back in time to that that moment in time. Yeah, San Francisco, another great foodie town. Absolutely. Tierney, if you could be a fictional person in the time you go back to, or in a historical film or series, and I think there've even been some about uh, that period at, at Haight-Ashbury and also Woodstock, who would you be? Well, I don't know if you mean by fictional or real, but I, I love Stevie Nicks. Uh, Fleetwood Mac is one of my favorite fans that works. of all time. And she, she got her start there, and I, I got to also see where she lived. I didn't live too far from there, um, but she, I just, I look up to her, you know, drive and her passion. That's what her song Gypsy is all about, how she, you know, started sleeping on, essentially, she didn't even have really a bed, and she worked her way up to, you know, being one of the best musicians of all time still today, and I really appreciate her her vibe, her style, um, and she's still going strong. Absolutely. So time capsule question. If you could include three items that best represents the times you've lived through in a time capsule, what would those three items be? Oh my gosh. So I would say, you know, covering the pandemic extensively, I, I wrote so many takeout friendly guides. I can't even keep track of them. So I have so many of my takeout menus saved from that era, like a Bible size amount of them, um, you know, supporting restaurants during one of the toughest times ever for them. So I think that would be one to, you know, remember what we've been through and restaurants that have made it through it, um, which either, you know, we helped them do that. So I think that's very special that, that I was a part of that. Um, Oh my gosh, I would say I but hate to say, um, oh my gosh, the tough one. I didn't think through all three. The second one, I guess, would be um, Well, it sounds like um, you have a lot of menus, so it may that may be one, two, three <laughs> to a thousand. I mean, I think it was about three hundred. <laughs> yes, I mean it's it's sad that we've been through some so many tough times as of late. Nothing like what's going on, of course, overseas. But um, yeah, I I mean I lived through the. I don't know if I even want to say this, but when the sniper, I was in college or in high school when that happened. You know, when you were dodging the the gas pumps because the sniper was in Fairfax where I went to high school a lot of our like homecoming games were canceled from that that was insane um not something I'd like to remember at the time but um yeah our crazy presidencies up and down um oh, oh yes we can I have my um poster saved from that from Obama first black president ever elected. That was an amazing time to be in D.C. Such great buzz back in 2009. Talked to so many 
restaurants and chefs and I think the city like really came to life after that with a lot of New York chefs wanting to come here really put our food city on the map oh and I'd say a third is um DC having its own Michelin guide ever uh that was when I yes. started with Eater back in 2016 17 so I have my Michelin um guide you know displayed in my room definitely would definitely would remember that yeah, I personally love food history and how you can document how society changes through food. So I think that would be a great time capsule you're putting together. Mm-hmm. So Tierney, our last, our last question in the lightning round is, do you see historical drama, that is films like The Godfather, as a window to the past or a mirror of the present? Oh, I definitely think it's... Uh mirror to the present i mean everything everything comes back right i mean fashion style everything is cyclical i think some of those you know lessons learned about loyalty and just staying true to yourself and your family that those those lessons never die so i think we need to appreciate and honor and keep watching those movies over and over again until the end of time really well, thank you, Tyranny, for this, um, for your time and this cannoli update for The Godfather 50th. We're looking forward to all the updates on either DC's cannoli map and getting together with you and enjoying some of the best in the DMV. Same, our cannoli crawl. We need to get it on the calendar. Cannoli crawl, absolutely. So to our listeners, be sure to check out episode 10 of the podcast featuring our interview with investigative journalist and author Dan Moldea about The Godfather on its 50th anniversary. This has been a special edition of Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters. We want to thank you for joining this podcast. Look for Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters on Instagram and Facebook and visit our webpage at michonbostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters for more information and additional resources related to our conversations. Subscribe, like, and share the historical drama with the Boston Sisters podcast on your social media. This is Michonne Boston. And this is Tequina Boston. Thank you for listening and bon appetit. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters, a podcast about historical films and series dramas. Visit our webpage at michonbostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters. Tell us what historical dramas you're watching. Who knows? We may do a show about it. Sign up for our newsletter, subscribe to the podcast, and share it with the people you know who geek out on historical drama. Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters is brought to you by the Michonne Boston Group. The views and opinions expressed on historical drama with the Boston Sisters are those of the speakers and do not represent the positions or views of the Michonne Boston Group, its clients or affiliates. This is Michonne Boston. And Tequina Boston. Thank you for listening.